Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Macro Compass. This is Alf speaking. Happy 2023 to you all. Also, thank you for the amazing support that you gave me last year. I wish you and your families the best for this upcoming 2023. But now that 2023 is here, I think we should give a refresh to our macro models and see what they're telling us for what's coming ahead for macro and markets. Now, as a reminder, I think that the two main forces driving global macro and markets are the rate of change of nominal growth and the monetary policy stance. Now, regarding the rate of change of nominal growth, real economy money creation and the leading macro indicators inform us on the path ahead for economic growth. When it comes to the monetary policy stance, I believe that financial money creation and real yields are key to understand the central bank stance and its implication for markets. Putting these two angles together, the rate of change of nominal growth and the monetary policy stance is exactly what's behind the macro compass quadrant asset allocation model. It deploys a data-driven approach to assess where do we stand on both fronts. And that's where we're going to start because it's a useful tool to start our 2023 asset allocation journey. In short, for both the US and Europe, we are sitting in quadrant four. That's the trickiest quadrant for long-term macro investors. Now let's analyze both axes, the rate of change of nominal growth and the monetary policy stance to understand exactly why are we sitting there. Now the x-axis of the macro compass quadrant model is the macro compass leading macro indicators. Those have explanatory power on nominal growth ahead. Now, um, I'm going to talk about my flagship um, leading indicator, which is the global credit impulse uh, developed by the macro compass itself. This index measures the rate of change in the quantity of money that's in real terms and as a percentage of GDP, the quantity of money held by the non-financial private sector in the five largest economies in the world. What it means is it measures whether us, households and corporates, real economy actors, the private sector, is receiving at any point in time an accelerating or decelerating amount of spendable money. As a preliminary October 2022 data, the global credit impulse is showing minus 3.5%. This is by far the worst reading in 10 years, and it's in line with the great financial crisis levels. The Macro Compass Global Credit Impulse Index leads earnings and inflation by four to six quarters. Now, if you see in the chart how uh, negative it's the global credit impulse print, it also predicts, therefore, nominal growth to dramatically slow in 2023, both on a real growth perspective, using earnings, for example, as a proxy, and also on an, a rate of change of inflation perspective. They're both added down according to our models. The reason why the global credit impulse leads by four or six quarters, both earnings and inflation, is pretty easy and straightforward to understand. The more money you throw, spendable money you throw at the private sector all at once, the more likely they are to boost not only growth, but with a lag also inflation. Vice versa, if you stop throwing at them fresh money, they are likely to stop um, spending and consuming very aggressively. And therefore, with a lag, growth and inflation will come down, which is exactly what the models are saying for 2023. Now, when it comes to growth, we do not rely only on one leading indicator. We have many, many more. And amongst the other leading macro indicators, we have selected just one that points to a rapid deterioration of the job market. 
Now, the dramatic tightening of US financial conditions in 2022 is the leading indicator we are using to set the stage for a much weaker labor market in 2023. Also here, let's explain why tighter financial conditions lead to a weaker labor market. It's how the economic cycle works. Higher interest rates, wider credit spreads, lower equity multiples, a higher dollar, they also con all contribute to tighter financial conditions. Once that happens, companies are in trouble and they're basically cutting first discretionary spending. This leads to weaker growth and weaker earnings. That also leads to a snowball effect that forces companies at some point to deleverage. So they will cut investments and ultimately they will cut labor as well. Now, financial conditions is where it all starts. And as you can see in the chart in the article, financial conditions in the US in 2022 tightened very, very aggressively. Now, almost like a clock in the past, every time that happened, non-farm payrolls nine to 12 months forward also dropped pretty aggressively. Following this relationship, we should expect that US non-farm payrolls will converge to zero in the first half of 2023. So nominal growth, however you cut and slices, both in Europe and in the US, is set to slow down pretty aggressively as the real economy printing press has stopped working and leading macro indicators are also pointing to a deterioration in the labor market. That means in the macro compass quadrant asset allocation model, we are positioning ourselves to the left of the quadrant where nominal growth is on a decelerating mode. But what about the other axis? Are we positioning ourselves on the top of the quadrant, so quad, uh, of, of the quadrant asset allocation model, so quadrant one, top left, or bottom left, which is quadrant four? For that, we need to assess the y-axis, and the y-axis is the monetary policy stance that, in our opinion, remains very tight. So far, we talked about the real economy, we talked about credit creation, growth, inflation, the labor market, but the y-axis of the quadrant model instead focuses on the monetary policy stance, and the pace of financial money creation, not real economy money creation, but financial money creation, which is bank reserves in most cases. Now, also here, I'm going to make two points. To assess how tight or how easy is the monetary policy stance, one way to do it is to look at risk-free real interest rates against equilibrium. Now, today, they're much higher than equilibrium, both in Europe and in the US, and that's a problem for risk assets. I often receive the question, Alf, are interest rates high or low? And the answer is, it's all about relativity and equilibrium. The US and European economies are hyper-financialized, over-leveraged, and gray-haired, perhaps to a slightly different extent, but they are roughly in the same boat. Now, the hyper-financialization, over-leverage, and gray-hairness, so the aging population, they all imply low equilibrium real interest rates. Those equilibrium real interest rates are the rates at which these economies can run smooth. They deliver potential growth. They do not overheat. They do not fall into a recession. They just deliver potential growth. These equilibrium real rates are very low, both in the US and in Europe, because of high private and public debt levels, low productivity, and an aging population. To get, give you an idea of what are the equilibrium real interest rates, in the US, we're talking levels slightly above 0%, and in Europe, negative real interest rates are the equilibrium level, minus 0.5%. Today, where are real rates really trading against equilibrium? And the answer is that market-implied medium-term real yields are much higher than these equilibrium levels, both in the US and in Europe. And this has important implications because once real yields are much higher than the equilibrium, what happens is that the private sector has an impaired access to borrowing cheaply. This dampens growth prospects 
while at the same time, investors are encouraged in simply keeping cash as it delivers a high risk-free return. And it's not a surprise that every time we have this setup where real yields are much higher than equilibrium, both in the US and in Europe, risk assets add a hard time. So from this perspective, the monetary policy today is pretty tight. But the second compounding issue there is that the financial money printing press seems broken. The rate of change of bank reserves creation is the other important component necessary to gauge where the monetary policy stance is. We are talking about the so-called liquidity, which in reality is financial money, is money for banks, not money for the real economy. When the amount of interbank money, of bank reserves, is rapidly increasing, banks tend to increase their appetite for riskier investments, and they tend to provide more liquidity to financial markets. The opposite happens when the amount of interbank money is not rapidly increasing anymore. It's exactly what we're going to see in 2023. Quantitative tightening in the US, newly announced quantitative tightening in Europe too, and the large amount of TLTRO repayments in Europe, they will all contribute to record the most aggressive level of six months rate of change of European and US bank reserves on the negative side that we will ever see in the last 10 years. So in 2023, the six months rate of change of euro and dollar denominated bank reserves will be as negative as it has ever been over the last 10 years. In other words, the amount of interbank money will be shrinking pretty aggressively like it never did, both in the US and in Europe over the last 10 years. The bottom line is, therefore, that we are sitting on the bottom left part of the macro compass quadrant asset allocation model. On the left, because growth is decelerating, and on the bottom, because the monetary policy stance remains pretty tight. I've elaborated why that is the case, but the problem is, how do you invest in such an environment? So the second part of this piece would be about the TMC, the macro compass, macro ETF portfolios. We used both US listed instruments and European listed instruments to make sure that as many people as possible could access the ETFs. These ETFs are designed to keep delivering positive return regardless of the prevailing macro cycle. The macro time horizon of choice is three to six months. This is not a very high turnover portfolio. It's an asset allocation portfolio. The other key feature is risk control. We pay close attention to maximum drawdowns, to volatility at the portfolio level, and to allocate and size each ETF allocation to reflect an appropriate risk contribution, also taking correlations into account. Now, from 2023, as I anticipated already, getting access to the premium, the macro compass content will require a paid subscription. Not only you will get deep and unique macro insights, deeper than the one you have already received for free here, but also you will get access to ETF portfolios. Not only that, but also tactical trade ideas, interactive macro tools, the courses we will launch, and much more that will be available to the Macro Compass paid subscribers. So if you want to come and join this vibrant community of macro investors, asset allocators, hedge funds, and so on and so forth, you can check out which subscription tier suits you the most. Clicking at the bottom of the article, there is a, a, a button that says, get me in. Or alternatively, you can go on the macrocompass.com forward slash subscribe. There are different tiers you guys can check. The cheapest one starts at 39 a month, so it's pretty doable. There are other tiers as well if you're interested in deeper and more insights and tools and instruments and products from our perspective. In the meantime, thanks again for listening to the Macro Compass, and we'll talk again next week.